Law Focus Podcast. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Good evening. It is five minutes after seven, and welcome to Five M eighty eight point one. My name is Melissa Tindiveni, and I am with Sepomo Happy. Welcome to Law Focus. Tonight's conversation is significant. It is interesting, but most importantly, as most of our topics are, it is a human rights issue. Tonight we'll be having a discussion about the rights and responsibilities of children. The first segment will outline the Children's Act, number 38 of 2005, as a starting point. And then we will follow it with a discussion, um, you know, integrating some of the issues that have been taking place in our society um, on children. um, Also looking at... Enoch Mbianzi and what happened with him. But we will later also then get into exploring what the concept of responsibilities means, particularly as it relates to children and rights and children. Yeah, I mean, it's a very important topic at the moment. Um, when we look at the law, we're looking specifically at around the chapter 2 of the Children's Act and... Um, you know, it, it lists various rights where it, it says we should promote, uh, respect um, children's rights in terms of the Bill of Rights. It also sets out some principles uh, that exist, something like a dignity, fair, fair, uh, fair, fairness, equal, equitability, uh, and to protect the child from unfair discrimination. And it includes things like health status, disability, and we recognize the need to. Um, development and to to engage in play and other recreational activities um, and also to you know to have some understanding of the child's environment so it, whatever the right that the child has safe to recreation it should be with regard to their abilities as well so a disabled child um, should still have an environment that is conducive towards their recreational activities and the other activities that we can only enjoy really as children. Um, and also it gives some guidance with regard to how the court should um, deal with the matter. When dealing with a child, it should be more of a conciliation type matter and, um, and a problem-solving uh, approach should be uh, adopted by our courts. Uh, and all of those should be taken you know, when when the authority is not just the court, I suppose, but whenever a state institution and the courts and uh, any state authority deals with the child, they should take into account the child's age, maturity, uh, uh, maturity, age of development, uh, and uh, also bring in the person responsible for the child. So whether that's a parent, uh, normally it's a parent, it could be a guardian, and also inform that parent of any decisions that need to be taken. Um, and that's really what we're going to be discussing today, in as well as some of the responsibilities that a child would have. Now, one of the things that brought this into stock reality was the Enoch Mpianzi matter, where a 13-year-old boy his body was recovered after he was carried away by a strong current in the Crocodile River. Uh, this was at Nyati Bush and River Break in the northwest. And he was a boy, uh, a schoolboy, who just started at uh, Parktown Boys High School and its great eight initiation camp. Now, they were instructed to build a makeshift raft 
uh, made of bamboo and tied together with all sorts of things like shoelaces. And they put this raft into the river. The river carried the boys away and the boy drowned. That's Enoch. Um, and in there's been a report released by the um, Department of Education, I believe, and it is quite damning. Uh, there are many, many failings. Now, it's really nearly two months since the incident, and it is a difficult one to deal with. Some of the information that has come forth since the reports, I'm going to say it as it was given. It's quite a painful process, but we have to soldier on. Lisufi said after the report was read out but after reading such reports it becomes difficult to be normal again Lisufi released the reports with lawyer Peter Harris from Harris Newpen Mulibati attorneys who conducted the forensic investigation into the matter the 61 page report reveals that both Nyati Bush and River Breakaway in Brits Northwest and the headmaster and five educators from Parktown High boys were reckless and negligent. This was a water exercise that went seriously wrong, and as a result, Enoch Mpianzi drowned, Harry said. Enoch went missing on Wednesday, the 15th of January 2020, during a water activity at Nyati Bush. The activity required the learners to build a makeshift raft using objects around them, such as wooden poles and shoelaces, as Shtepo uh, earlier said correctly. The boys then sailed the raft across the Crocodile River, where it capsized. Witnesses confirmed that they saw Enoch and a number of other learners struggling in the water. The report revealed that Nyati Bush and River Breakaway's camp manager, Anson Nutsia, told investigators the entire water exercise took place in shallow water and on dry land. Harris stated that during the investigation, they found this to be misleading and false. The report found that water levels were high and the current was strong. Harris said Nutsia was asked why boys were not wearing life jackets and he responded by saying that the camp only owned 12 life jackets and we keep life jackets for tubing and not for this particular activity. So Harris further stated that during the investigation, the firm found that Enoch was the fifth child to die due to a water activity and nyati. Northview High School pupil Portia Sowella drowned in the river in 1999. In 2002, a grade 10 learner from Malvern High School, Susum Walusi, also drowned in the river. Tumi Mukomani from Lar School, Velgedach, drowned in the swimming pool at Nyati Bush in 2009. And in 2010, Melanie Sias drowned in the river. Lisufi told the media that communications had already been sent out to schools in Gauteng, demanding that they suspend the use of Nyati. All right, now this is all extremely um, tragic and it brings into focus uh, this incident as well as what exactly it means when we talk about children's rights. And um, In this instance, were the best interests of the child paramount? And if not, and if not, uh, yeah, and if not, although unfortunate uh, that these institutions have failed already, how should schools, camps and the state make sure that something like this doesn't happen again? 
Um, now, that's our question to you this evening, right? We're interested in your thoughts, tweets, feedback, uh, you know, your feedback on Facebook. You can tweet and call us to share your solutions, comments, or questions throughout the evening uh, by taking a minute or three to tweet us on AdVowFM using the hashtag LawFocus or tagging us on our Facebook account, uh, simply um, uh, VowFM or dialing our uh, landline 011-717-9881. We always look forward to interacting with you. Today, the people that we'll be discussing the matter with um, are two very, very interesting uh, uh, um, guests. Uh, the one is Karabo Hansugule <coughs> from the Center for Child Law, and the other one is Joan van Niedkerk. And she's a social worker and a consultant with a considerable number of years' experience. In the meantime, let's go and take a look at our le- hottest legal stories of the week at our legal hotspots. Rounding up all, all the top stories of the week, legal hotspots. Right, it's 2020, and I cannot believe that this is back in the news. I cannot, but 26 years after democracy, and we are still having this discussion. Same-sex couple calls for H for the Human Rights Commission's intervention after a venue refuses to host a wedding. It's a same-sex wedding, of course. A lesbian couple in Cape Town has asked the Human Rights Commission of South Africa to investigate a wedding venue that has refused to host their ceremony. Now, Sasha Lee Hicks and her fiancé, Megan Watling, wanted to celebrate their marriage at Beloftebos in April 2021. I think this is in the Cape. Um, But the owners refused on the grounds of Christianity not allowing same-sex marriages. Now, Beloftebos in Stanford is standing by their religious conviction, stating that everyone has the right to freedom of conscious religion, thought, belief and opinion. Of course, this is often the the position. Uh, Hicks and, and, and said that Beloftus referred them to a statement regarding an incident in 2017 when the farm faced public backlash for refusing to host the same-sex wedding of an American couple. At the same time, the owners sought legal advice and their statement argues that their decision not to not host same-sex weddings based on their religious convictions did not automatically amount to unfair discrimination and that no court has found this to be the case. Now, this is often the position of um, uh, free free houses, and that's all you can really call them. You know, when you open up a facility to the public, a business like that where, you know, the public is permitted to come in and, and make uh, use of the um, of the premises. Uh, and I just, I, just, I just don't understand why this would be, why would a person open a free house, uh, you know, open your facility to the public in order for them to use it and then put caveats like this in um, in place. But I guess I, that's what, like, you know, issues of bias, prejudice, discrimination usually do. You always have to find a reason to then um, bar whatever people you don't feel are good enough yeah. to be, you know, of service um, for, uh, to you or, you know, to use your premises. I guess we're still going to have a lot of such cases, um, particularly in South Africa, because a lot of people um, still still struggle with same-sex and, and accepting um, um, same-sex couples as a real and authentic sexual orientation. Yeah, yeah, it's something that we're still... Hey. 
Shame. We've got a long way to go, hey? Mm-hmm. We really do. And uh, continuing about the long way to go, South Africa is probably in a state right now because of COVID-19. And tonight we're just going to give you a briefing about how it relates to the law and what measures should be put in place for all employers. So although the Occupational Health and Safety Act 85 of 1993 places an obligation on the employer to maintain a safe and healthy working environment, it is a bit difficult with COVID-19 in that an employer does not have a clear obligation to manage the risk of contamination in the workplace. What all employers are obliged to do, however, is to keep the workplace clean and hygienic, to promote regular hand washing by employees, as well as good respiratory hygiene. And of course, keeping employees informed on the latest developments regarding coronavirus. As long as employees follow health advice and information, communicate with employees, prevent the spread of infection, identify vulnerable workers, and update emergency contact information, that is what they need to do. For workers, just take notes that in order for you to be considered to be on sick leave, you have to be quarantined by a medical doctor. And you must provide a medical certificate as proof. And that's all we have for our legal hotspots right now. Coming up next is going to be our first conversation as we go into the rights of children with Karabo Hangasule. And going through it will be the Children's Act that we want to analyze a bit more deeply tonight. Forget what the little buddy told you. Follow us, follow us, follow us at BoFM and join the conversation. Law Focus, handing you your rights. All right, welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're discussing uh, children and um, their rights. Um, very specifically because of the most recent events that have been happening in the last few months in our country and it's brought this topic back into sharp focus. Now on the line with us we've got Karabo Hansang, Hansangule uh, and she is for, at working at the Centre for Child Law. Karabo, hello. Karabo. Hi, hello. Sorry, it, I was not hearing at some point. I think it's breaking. The oh. Can you hear me? Hear you now. Yeah. Oh, you can hear me now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us. We always appreciate your input. Um, you know, the, 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 if you could just tell our, our listeners exactly what it is that you do. Uh, well, I mean, the Centre for Child Law is, a, is an organization that protects and promotes children's constitutional rights. And we use litigation and um, advocacy. Um, yes. And we do that work throughout the whole country. Okay, and so your primary tool, I suppose, is 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 the law and the courts and those forums. Is that correct? Yes, those are our main. But it doesn't mean that we don't do other things like engage with organisations that are working with children directly on the ground. Sometimes we even represent organisations that work on children's rights. So you know, it's yeah. But mainly, it's trying to use the law and change the law and advance the law so that children can be better protected. Okay. Now, in recent months. Uh, children and their well-being has become uh, quite uh, quite important. It's been brought into sharp focus, and I say that because we have the the very famous Mpianzi, um, um, uh, Enoch Mpianzi, who drowned. We have another child who also drowned in the school 
school uh, pool around about that same time there was a sex ed ca- um, curriculum as well late last year which caused an uproar and there have been a few accidents at school as well now we have all these wonderful laws and, and they are enshrined whether it's in our constitution or the various bits of legislation that exist how in your experience is that working out on the ground Sorry, how in my experience is what working? That translating, those bits of legislation, whether it's the constitution, etc., how are those translating into the everyday lives of children? Are they translating? I mean, it's a very broad question because there's so many areas, as you just mentioned, you go from sex ed to children being safe in schools and all that. Those are very differing issues. But the starting point is that we have a constitution that says children have certain rights and people have this fear of children's rights. But actually, if you look at section 28 of the constitution, all it basically says is children are vulnerable and because of their vulnerability, they have special rights in terms of protection, provision, um, and even if they commit crimes, they still must be treated in a way that allows them to rehabilitate and we must always try and do what's in the best interest of the child because the best interest of the child are of paramount importance. So from there, then you have different legislations. So you have the Children's Act, which is the main legislation that talks about child protection and how parents uh, and, and uh, have children rights in relation to their children. Um, and then you then have the Child Justice Act, and then you have the Sexual Offences Act. We know we have a lot of incidences of sexual violations of children. Children are dying. So you have that law that says, how do you prosecute people who offend against children? And the sentencing that they must get, which in most cases is supposed to be harsher because their children are vulnerable and they're taking advantage of their vulnerability. Um, and then you have the Schools Act. You know, you talked about the drowning. I mean, we have Schools Act, but from the Schools Act, there are a lot of other pieces of policies and legislation in relation to protecting um, children when they're in the school environment. Mm. Um, yeah. Okay. So maybe to, to your question about uh, how are they playing out, um, I look, I've been working in children's rights for quite some time now, and there are places where there's quite a lot of improvements compared to other countries. There's quite a lot of improvements for relief compared to before certain legislations, but there are areas of concern. I've spoken about the issues of violence against children, which I think, you know, the law is there, but the law alone is not enough. Something else needs to also be done on the ground. So, it, you know, it differs from which area we're talking about, and then we can measure whether implementation is good or not. I guess, unfortunately, for the purposes of our show, it's it's a bit difficult sometimes, you know, to go specifically into each case. So we're going to, uh, uh, you know, kind of branch a lot of these things together. Um, but you, looking at the answer that you have just given us, you mentioned children dying. Um, you've mentioned violence. And there's many other examples that are horrible that children go through that we can um, make reference to, like you know, them dying in latrines, um, lack of school books, um, negligence of children. Taking all these many different kind of circumstances and scenarios into consideration, what does it really then mean for children to have rights in such conditions? What does it mean? How- well, I mean, you know, the fact that there are certain rights that are recognized and particularly afforded to children means that those who are tasked with the responsibility of advancing them and protecting them can be held accountable. So, um, again, if you mentioned the MPNZ case, the, the report is out, something can be done about that because there are laws that people have been found to have violated. If you're talking about, again, also sexual offenses, I mentioned that there's a law that is what are crimes against children so then you can hold them accountable so the big issue and i think that's what your colleague was asking the big issue is that issue of implementation and also where the implementation is failing holding those 
people accountable. You mentioned the petitions. I mean, other organizations like ours, like um, ELC and, and Section 27, have done work to try and hold people accountable in those instances. And that's very important. Then that's where you can see that at least the law can translate into something. Unfortunately, you know, if children have passed away, it's, you know, it's, it's a little comfort for their parents. But then you then go through the court system to try and say, let's hold people accountable, hoping that next time they will take their responsibility seriously and know that there are consequences for not upholding the rights of children. Mm. Now, um, you've mentioned some of the... Um well, we've mentioned some of the sort of areas that exist, the law exists in order to um, uh, um, help uh, with children. For example, courts are held in camera, there are juvenile facilities for child offenders, those types of things. So the law is is like, um, and, uh, like a lot of the time, the law is very good. Um, and we do have the Children's Act and other acts related to children. Um, do you find that um, that the the legislation itself is enough, or do we do or do we have programs that go beyond just the legislation part of it in the schools, in the most vulnerable schools, etc. Do we have programs uh, for the parents, for the educators to assist them, not just in terms of the law and litigation and that, but do we have other programs? Um, I don't know what you mean by programs, but I think uh, if you mean that, do we sometimes, you know, if we identify there's, if there's an issue, I mean, from our organization, we, we a very small organization based mm. in Victoria, we try to reach out. But let me give you an example. Recently, one of our biggest cases that we've done is about access to education for children who don't have birth certificates. Mm. And that entailed, um, you know, half of our office driving to um, Alua North in, in the Eastern Cape and interviewing and having meetings and sessions with parents about um, the issues of birth registration, what are the challenges, why are the children not registered, is the problem them or is the problem the system? And from that, we did the case to get the children access to education. And in the meantime, we're going to go back and do the issues of uh, making sure that the children do get the birth certificate. So, I, but I, I think in, not enough has been done to educate people, and I don't think it's um, just a responsibility from organizations like ours. I, I think uh, um, there's a lot that um, Department of Social Development, I think, has some programs, um, Department of Education, but I think there's more that still can be done to actually make sure that parents understand what the notion of children's rights mean, but also they understand where to get help if they're stuck in relation to issues and problems concerning children. Because you also have children that um, end up with maybe having behavioral difficulties and parents don't know how to cope and those kind of things or learning uh, difficulties and people think a child is just being difficult. They need to know where to get help and assist the child before um, the child you know, gets older and the, the issue becomes uh, more serious. So that, I think there's still a lot more that can be done. I think not enough has been done at all in relation to that. Oh. Hmm. All right. Are there, are, are there, are there sort of any... Any specific types of, of um, parts of us? Okay, let me put it a little bit more bluntly. In our country, we've got a big disparity uh, between the haves and the have-nots. And, and very often that's black and colored children uh, who are perhaps at the brunt, uh, you know, the, the brunt end of poverty and some of the social ills that we have in this country. One of the criticisms that I could have as... Um, as, uh, as 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 a member of the public is that the the legislation or the policy that government sometimes implements is very generic it's implemented across the board from cape town all the way to messina and it's the same uh, and it doesn't have the nuances that are required 
for um, for example someone who is at Kirstenbosch uh, whereas someone might another child might be at um, a very um, badly or, or poorly um, facilitated school say in in rural Natal for example and the government policy seems to cover them almost in a similar way is that a valid criticism that I have of the system or am I just trying to be too idealistic no, I mean, I think the starting point is that obviously when you're talking about giving children rights, you have to give all the children in the country equal rights, right? But you're right, when it comes to implementing and programming, there are ways that there's supposed to be prioritization. And that should not mean that you're thinking other children are less important than others. Obviously, the issues of inequalities play right into it. And I do think like the Department of Education, you know, with all its shortcomings, is one way we know that provinces that have had uh, big issues in relation to infrastructure and all those issues were given priority kind of budgets. But the problem becomes do those people use it, the people in power still, to advance those rights so that at least you can start working towards leveling the playing field. Um, but I do think there's quite a lot of areas where that is taken into account when it comes to program- programming and financing for the different provinces because also the populations are not the, the same. Okay, and uh, uh, we're running out of time, so I'll ask you one last one, and it's just an opinion because you work in the with children and children's rights so much. Are there any other aspects of our country where you think uh, we are falling behind? I would say, for example, some of our cultural practices where children are seen and not heard are a hindrance. Would you identify anything that you personally would think? If I could wave a magic wand and make this particular thing go away, what would that be? Or improve this or change this or whatever the case may be. What might that be? Um, I think you're right, particularly listening, hearing children. But also for me, the big thing is, and it's something that sort of started, well, became more clear to me recently, that there's a fear of engaging with uh, the idea of children's rights generally. And actually all it means is that we need to protect children. We need to try our best to nature them so that they can become the adults that, you know, can contribute positively to the community. Right now, there's like this fear of children. You know, you hear it every day. Children have yeah. too many rights. And mm. I think people need to actually pause and ask themselves, what kind of society we want in the next generation and what are we putting in them to get there? The issue of violence is a big, big issue in our country. And when you tell people that if you're hitting your child every day, you're going to, you know, violence will be get violence. They, want, they don't want to hear it. Those are the things that, you know, the, the things that people are uncomfortable with. They need to, they need to start engaging with and think, thinking about what kind of future they want for their children because we are really not doing well in relation to violence. It's a big, big problem. All right, thank you very much, Karabu. We appreciate your contribution uh, and thank you for talking to us tonight. Thank you for having me. Good night. Good night. Right, that was uh, uh, Karabo Hansangule, and she was from the Centre for Child Law, uh, discussing our uh, the rights of children and some of the challenges that we have, especially in protecting the, our children and making sure that the rights enshrined in our constitution and our laws are actually realised. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a few minutes, where we'll talk to Ms. Joan van Nikiak. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. Welcome to Law Focus. It is about 25 to 8 right now on VAUFM 88.1. You are with Melissa Ndiweni and Tabo Mohabi. So we just spoke to someone from the Center for Child Law about basically how rights are supposed to be um, 
seen through uh, in our society for children in particular. That is our focus tonight. Right now, we're going to cross over and speak to Joanne Van Nieker, who is a consultant. Uh, she's been working with children for many, many, many years, and she's going to get into the next segment of our conversation with her, which kind of draws on from where Garabo left off, nurturing children so that they are responsible citizens. And that is our main focus in this next segment of the show. Joanne, Dr. Joanne Van Nieker, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. And how are you? We are good. We are very happy to have you back. Oh, good. Yes, because we had made a promise last year, those of you who do follow the show, um, I think it was National Child Protection Week, and we had her on the show and we spoke at length. Um, well, not that much because we weren't able to consolidate everything. And we said, you know what? She's very interesting. She's very learned. Her expertise on children's rights and responsibilities is so particular. We have to have her back. This time to focus on responsibilities more than we did rights like last time. So we are really, um, you know, happy to be speaking with you. Thank you for accepting our invitation again. No, I'm delighted. Thank you. And for those of you, uh, for, for those who are hearing you for the first time, maybe you can just briefly tell um, the listener about the work that you do and the work that you have done with children over the years, quickly before we get into the first question. Okay. Yes, I worked for Childline for many years. It was one of the most interesting positions I've ever had. Um, and we, we spoke to many, many children about their lives, the challenges they were facing. Um, we used to get about a million calls a year, believe it or not, from children. Some serious, um, some not so serious, uh, and it was a very interesting time. Then I moved on. It was time for me to move on. Um, and I'm now working as a consultant, and I do work for various organizations. Um, looking at child rights, developing child rights policies, um, developing training programs and implementing them, and using the experience I had at Childline in order to try and help other professionals um, uh, in the work that they are doing. All right, we're going to get into that and how that particular work is going, whether it's successful or what the challenges are. But let's start off with defining what responsibility means in the context of children's rights. You know, it's so much easier to define what rights are. Um, but when we say responsibilities, it's a bit harder, which is why I guess both adults and children struggle to live up to this principle. How would you define this concept in the context of rights? Yes, I think it's really, really important that we do look at issues relating to children's responsibilities. Um, as children grow up, so they need to be introduced to those tasks that they are able to share in as part of family life that are congruent with their level of development. So you might start off with a very small uh, task for a very small child, a two or three-year-old, please fetch a nappy for mommy, um, or something really kind of basic like that. But giving a child a sense of I'm part of this family and therefore I can make a contribution to it because this is what life is about. This is what adulthood is about. It's important preparation for a child's adulthood to know that I don't just grow up 
taking and having people give to me. Life is a process of exchange. And when I exchange with others and do things for others in the way that I hope others will do things for me, um, this is what makes life beautiful and fulfilling and worth living. Right. And, 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 and so many times advocates of children's rights um, actually, you know, don't believe that children have too many rights. But they, they do acknowledge that the problem lies in, in the responsibility aspect, which perhaps many children simply do not understand, you know. So I like how you have already said that we should navigate this by making sure that from a young age, children should be given responsibilities as per um, their age, which is appropriate for their development. What happens then? If you find yourself, whether as a parent or a guardian or a teacher at a school, an educator, whoever it is that spends a lot of time with children, where you try and instill this kind of principle in the child's life, but the children is not, the child is not interested, they refuse. How, how do we then navigate that? I think with lots and lots of rewards, not material rewards, but praise for when a child does make a contribution to your family or your school or maybe to a community group. So often we, we notice children's bad behavior yeah. and we forget to notice the good behavior. And so what happens is children get uh, negative reinforcement for bad behavior, but very little praise for good behavior. So, so it's really important to notice your child's good behavior in the classroom, in the family, perhaps even in the community itself. The other thing that's important is we do actually focus a lot on children's rights. And this is appropriate in a country in which children's rights were so seriously violated year after year, generation after generation. And the the thing is to make sure that children grow up recognizing parents have rights, teachers have rights, yeah. other children have rights. Rights are reciprocal. Mm. And you cannot expect people to appreciate your rights as a child unless you appreciate and respect their rights as well. And so this also needs to be something that is inculcated during early childhood. And something that we have to remember, children model their behavior on our behavior. So if I treat my child with disrespect, I cannot expect my child to treat me with respect. Um, if in the classroom children are treated with disrespect, a teacher cannot expect those children to respect him or her. But it does begin in the home. This is where the protection of children's rights begins, but this is also where children learn the responsibilities and learn the respect for other people's rights that's so vital to living mm -hmm. and a productive life. Right, uh, 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 Dr. Joan, I'm going to ask perhaps something that I'm a little bit more familiar with. Um, you know, every now and then we, we have a child perhaps who's gone outside of the bounds of the law and they find themselves in court and the court treats them in a particular way. Of course, by then, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, holding court in camera, etc., etc. And they tend to be quite accommodating towards the fact that they're a child. What I worry about in my experience, and I'd like your opinion on this, is instilling a sense of responsibility in the child um, for the behavior, not simply punishment. Punishment uh, mm. does happen, 
but actually instilling a sense of responsibility in the teenager having stolen or committed whatever offense that is do you find that to be challenging in your line of work or um, do you have methods to to do that not just the punishment part but the accepting that oh I've actually made a mistake I'm wrong to do this and how can I fix it Yes, it's, that is also an, a critically important aspect. And in this country, we're lucky enough to have uh, a really excellent piece of legislation called the Child Justice Act that deals with children in, the con- in conflict with the law. Our big challenge is, of course, implementation. Mm. So the Child Justice Act is based on restorative justice principles, where children, if they have done something wrong, have to take responsibility for it and, where possible, make some form of, often it's symbolic, but symbolic restitution. So um, the child may be asked to give an apology. The child may be asked Mm. to sit in a family circle and listen to how others uh, are hurt by their behavior. The court is also able to make part of that restoration uh, process um, some conditions like the child has to attend school, the child has to spend time with their family, um, and so on. The problem is that the individual needs of each child in conflict with the law Um, are not always sufficiently assessed because we have too few professional probation officers and too many children needing their services. Um, And so we find that often, um, you know, there there are programs put in place and children are slotted into programs instead of programs designed around the child. But what you are saying is very important. A child should be motivated to take responsibility for their behavior. Even from a very young age, one can do that. If your child steals sweets when they're only three or four years old at the shop, when you are doing your shopping and you arrive home and you find the child's got sweets in their pocket, um, that is an opportunity to start the process of restorative justice. Right. Wow. yeah. Wow, okay, I think that's incredible. I, I, let's, let's just take a quick break uh, so that you can get a breather. Stay with us on the line. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this conversation. Bringing you the facts, handing you your rights. This is Law Focus. All right, it's uh, 12 minutes to 8, and you're listening to Law Focus. We're talking to, we're talking to Dr. Joan van Niekerk. I don't know what's happening to my tongue today. Joan van Niekerk. And we're discussing children and their rights and some of their responsibilities. Now, you might think, oh, on a random Tuesday, why are we discussing this? And the reason is because it's become something of real significance recently, and we really want, uh, we can't just discuss it uh, during Children Protection Week or whatever the flavor of the month is it's something that's happening every day around us and that's why we want to bring it to your attention today now um part of the part of our 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 reality in south africa is that many 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 of our children face huge challenges oh this is now a question actually i'm not just rambling um but um many of them face huge challenges and these affect how they develop how they interact um with others and at home um dr van Nierkerk, in your opinion what are the real shortcomings within us as south africans 
when compared to countries that perhaps have um, a better record of uh, treatment of children? Where are we really not doing well and perhaps where we are doing a little bit better? Hello? Hello? Dr. Van Nieker? Oh, it seems like we've lost her. We might have to get back to her um, a little bit later. Well, what I would say is that, you know, in, in our law, we have a fantastic bit of legislation. Children's Act, Children's Justice Act, the Constitution, um, Schools Act. All of those are wonderful bits of legislation that do say and spell out what children need and, and what we should be providing for them. It doesn't always translate in the real world. And so that is the real disparity between uh, where we want to be almost on paper and where we actually are. And I don't know that we prioritize it really, really. Do you think, do you think it would make a difference if, let's say, obviously we, in, we put it as part of the curriculum in you know, a child-friendly way to teach those kind of legislation um, as a way to conscientize children as well about what the law says and then how they can respond to the law? Do you think that would make a difference? No, I, no, I don't think so. Ach, man. I really, I, I don't think so. Because that is so pessimistic. Ultimately, no, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it won't make any difference whatsoever. But what I mean is, ultimately, while we're discussing children and children's rights, it's, it's in relation to adults and what adults should be doing to recognize those rights. And you know, uh, hello, uh, Dr. Van Niekerk. Yes, hello. Hey, okay, we're back. Hey, so technology sometimes is a letdown. So I was right. having a little debate here with, uh, with uh, <laughs> uh, Millicent, and I was, and was going to say, well, could you perhaps in your capacity identify some of the strengths that we have as a country in terms of this bit, you know, children and their rights and their responsibilities, where we're getting it right, but also where we're getting it really, really wrong? Okay. Um, I think one of the areas in which we're getting it right is with law and policy. We have outstanding law and policy. Where we are trying but not being very successful as yet is the implementation of that policy and with the prevention of the violation of children's rights. And here... We're we're almost reactive, aren't we? Uh, We are very reactive and very seldom do we think proactively about the protection of children. And this is very, very problematic. I think even with the president's plan to curb violence against women and children, we see again the major resources and the major planning is going around response and certainly not prevention. Mm. When you center all your resources around strengthening the courts and strengthening prosecution, you're dealing with the end result of the problem. You are not preventing. Um, And this is a very difficult thing to get right because it is very difficult to see an evidence base for many of the programs that we run because when you're working with children you may only see the outcomes of your interventions much later in life. Um, It's like parents. I'm sure many parents 
that might be listening tonight look at their children and they think, oh my gosh, I'm a total failure as a parent. Mm. Then mm. five years down the line, this child settles, becomes more mature, and the kind of impact of good parenting then really kicks in. Yeah. I'm sure many parents have felt that way. Right. Um, and uh, so one needs to kind of think of the more long-term investments, not the quick knee-jerk responses that we are seeing across our systems mm. at the moment. Right. The ones that and are also <coughs> con- uh, sort of politically convenient. Not to say that they're not genuine, but they are, in, a, in many respects, uh, politically convenient because they sound so good when they are said in Parliament, uh, but the results perhaps aren't as good as what they could be if the approach was slightly different and more proactive. Absolutely, and and it's also a problem of of parliamentary systems, and I, I certainly do not want to get rid of our democracy. Mm. <laughs> I want to retain it. <laughs> but you know, politicians have five years in power, basically. Then it's another election. There's no guarantees attached to those elections, especially as we see South Africa at the moment mm. um, with the hi- history that we're going through at the moment and so it's very tempting to think short term because that is the term of office that you hold we need to think of 18 years that's a child's childhood the investment needs to be structured over that 18 years in a meaningful way Mm. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 sorry, mm. in the interest of time, um, I, I, I just want you to address something that I think to try and address this whole issue of us not trying to be reactive, but to provide solutions before we actually get to the problems. Um, in, in, with regards to teachers, when, how do, how can they edu- educators positively identify children who are troubled, you know, so that they are able to ensure that teaching happens for everyone in the classroom including those children with those kind of challenges but at the same time without those kids feeling that they have been put on the spot obviously and um they are unwanted you know they they must be loved and accepted um with tolerance but also at the same time teaching has to continue how do educators deal with this I think that it's important immediately a child presents with a behavioural issue um, that seems to be part of the child's behaviour and is of concern, like always seeking attention. That is a, a, a sign to teachers, that to educators, that something may be wrong in this child's life. Or if a child is unable to concentrate at school or appears not to be achieving despite a good investment by the teacher, again, this is something that needs to be investigated because sometimes children don't achieve not because they're not capable, but because of emotional problems. I'm thinking of the little boy I'm working with at the moment who is totally unable to, to concentrate in class. But he has the most horrendous history. So his inability to concentrate should be seen as something that needs attention, but is um, related also to the history that he has. Mm. Okay. No, that's, that's, that's significant. I think um, it's been a very good conversation that we've been having with you. I wish we had more time to go into a lot of the other challenges that we have in the country but we really appreciate you coming forth sharing your experience sharing your some of the challenges you've been through and really your expertise over the years in how we should be 
uh, dealing with uh, children and understanding the concepts of children's rights and responsibilities. Thank you for coming to Law Focus. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me on your program. And with that said, uh, we have come to the end of the show. We had on our studio, uh, well, on the line, we were joined by Garabo from Center for Legal for Child Law. Garabo Hangasuli, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her surname properly. I'm sorry if I'm not. And then we had Joanne Faniker, who is a consultant uh, in children's rights. And they were the ladies who joined us tonight. Uh, for this show and any other show that you might have missed and you'd like to check up on, our podcasts are available on Viz Journalism page, the Viz Journalism page, or you can go to uh, IONO. Up next will be the voice of hip-hop and from our producer, Lerato Magade, our technical producer, Kutlano Sirami, our law focus researchers, Obakeng Ramari, Tepo Muhabi, as well as myself, Melissa Tintiweni. Thank you so much for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Good night. Law Focus Podcast.